Last week, we left off in 1930 in a Paraguay that was incredibly politically unstable. Bolivia was encroaching on the Chaco and the population was increasingly dissatisfied with the liberal government. In this episode, we traverse the Chaco Wars and understand the causes of the Marxist insurgency that is present within the country today. Welcome to the second Matafile episode on Paraguay. In 1932, war finally broke out between the Bolivians, and the Bolivians were confident of a swift and easy victory as they were better equipped and organized than their conflict-stricken neighbors. This was not to be, as the Paraguayan will to defend its homeland overtook their organizational shortcomings and they mounted a strong defense to Bolivian aggression. Having a superior knowledge of the Chaco's geography, meant that the Paraguayan troops were able to easily infiltrate enemy bases and tactically outmatch Bolivian troops. Further, the Bolivians suffered as they were ill-equipped for the hot climate, had longer supply lines and incredibly weak logistics. In 1933, Paraguay won at Campo Villa, and their liberal president Ayala agreed to a truce despite winning the war. While the Paraguayans did win all the disputed territory, The truce allowed the Bolivians to regroup and stretch the war on until 1935. The truce had added to a list of growing public grievances against the liberal governance. The Chaco War somewhat strengthened the political opposition as the soldiers who fought resented the ineptitude of the government. Further, the government refused to fund the pensions of war veterans and then they expelled the war hero Colonel Franca. This expulsion was a result of him critiquing President Ayala and this ignited the February Revolution of 1936. Units of the army marched to the presidential palace and forced the resignation of the government, ending 32 years of liberal rule. Colonel Rafael Franco took power as the coup d'etat was successful. His followers included students, army officers and peasants, all of whom were upset with the government for one reason or another. This led to a quick post-war transition from a democracy to a military nationalist state with the governing body framed antithetically to the previous liberal party. The Franco government expropriated and renationalized land, distributing it to over 10,000 peasant families. They guaranteed workers a right to strike, an 8-hour workday, and declared Solano Lopez, the dictator who the liberal party absolutely hated, a national hero. The problem as with many military coup d'etats was that the government lacked a clear plan the franco regime descended into quick political trouble after sounding a decree that promised a totalitarian transformation which led to protests by the fabriesta movement he resultantly lost power towards the end of 1936 and ordered troops to forfeit their advanced positions on the chaco which caused an army revolt leading to a reinstatement of the liberal government in 1937 To reignite their national support, the liberals enlisted the war hero General Esti Garibia as president. 
S.T. Grebia circumvented the wishes of some liberals and assumed the title of temporary dictator in 1940. S.T. Garebia went on to implement yet another nationalized land reform and promised plots of land to all families and reopened the national university. He also addressed the economic failures of the pre-war liberal government by balancing the fiscal budget, financing public debt, and increasing the capital available to the central bank. In 1940, a plebiscite approved his constitution, which remained in power till 1967. Despite Esti Garabia's approval, his presidency did not last long as he died in a plane crash just months after his constitution was adopted. Higinio Moringo was then named president, and he inherited Esti Garabia's dictatorial powers. The advent of the Second World War somewhat eased the task at hand for Morinigo, as it increased the demand for Paraguayan exports, chief among which were meat, cotton, and animal hide. USA's favorable policy towards Latin America meant that Paraguay was eligible for large sums of economic assistance, which only increased when the US realized that Argentina were leaning towards Germany and wanted to ensure control on Paraguayan ties. The US Department of State gave Paraguay significant funds and supplies under the Land Lease Agreement, along with technical assistance to improve healthcare and agricultural practices. They also helped strengthen Paraguayan ties with Brazil. Despite the Allied generosity, Morinigo aligned with Axis powers till as late as 1942. After the Allied victory though, Morinigo was finally convinced to liberalize his regime, and he maintained a de facto alliance with the Colorado Party. They crushed the Fabriesta movement and the liberal insurgency in 1946, and assumed near total control of Paraguay. Morinigo was succeeded by the Colorado candidate Gonzalez in 1948, who ran unopposed and exiled Morinigo on being elected. Soon after, though, Gonzalez was also exiled, and Frederico Chavez took control of the Paraguayan state in 1950. Chavez was confronted with a shattered Paraguayan economy following two decades of an unrest, and by 1953, he began losing popular support. In yet another military coup, he was ousted in 1954, and the then commander-in-chief of the army, Alfredo Stroessner, who led the coup, was named president by the Colorado Party, beginning a period called the Stronato. The Stronato lasted 35 years from 1954 till 1989, and critical to its longevity was the repression of any opposition through a declared state of siege in the country. In 1958, Stroessner was elected by a national plebiscite for a second term and became a strong ally of the newly elected Cuban government under Fidel Castro. He used state power to instate a rule of terror and any and all protests were quashed. An upsurge in guerrilla violence came about in 1960, but Stroessner was using US-provided military aid to bolster counterinsurgency efforts. This, along with the presence of an incredibly weak opposition, meant that Stroessner's rule was not awfully perturbed by the minor insurgency. Despite the repression of civil liberties, the Stronato had resulted in a decrease in the rate of inflation due to sound economic policies bolstering Paraguayan investment and export. Through the 1960s, Paraguay somewhat stabilized politically due to an influx of economic aid from the US and Brazil. Brazil commissioned and funded the construction of a dam in Itaipu, but gave Paraguay its full ownership. 
This was critical as this provided a new source of wealth to the Paraguayan economy as foreign exchange earnings from electricity sales to Brazil began to soar. The economic boom set unrealistic expectations in the minds of the Paraguayans and a downturn in the early 1980s caused widespread discontent. This discontentment was capitalized on by an opposition that had slowly been accruing power over the past decade. This discontentment was aided by the fact that Paraguay had one of the most unequal distributions of wealth in the world. Stroessner's reign came with high rates of corruption and theft, and a direct result of that is that it is estimated that only 1.6% of the Paraguayan population owned nearly 80% of their total land. In 1989, Stroessner was overthrown by a military coup and exiled to Brazil. A transitional government was established by General André Rodríguez, which sought to tackle corruption and implemented policies for fiscal decentralization, initializing the process of democratization. The new constitution created a democratic republic, ensuring universal adult suffrage and a separation of the executive, the legislative and the judiciary. In 1992, democracy was once again established in the country of Paraguay, which dramatically increased the protection of fundamental rights. In 93, the Colorado candidate Juan Carlos Wasmosi was elected president through free and fair elections, but the party did not have a simple congressional majority and faced a strong opposition. Despite the fair election, there were still problems that persisted even today such as the retention of power by the political elite, the persistent influence of the army and a lack of addressal of the socio-economic inequalities in Paraguay. The political and military elite managed to distance themselves from Stroessner by laying dictatorial blame on his singular person and emerged as leading actors in a democratic Paraguay. Due to this, the transition still retained a high degree of continuity in terms of military autonomy, political control and socio-economic policy. This made the fortifying of democratic institutions in the country incredibly challenging. The growth in opposition parties, though, had been good, and a divided Colorado party was having a difficult time holding on to power. During the Stronato, the Liberal Party had ceased to exist, but its political successor, the Authentic Radical Liberal Party, or the ARLF, is now the second largest party in Paraguay. Other opposition parties include the beloved Fatherland Party, the centre-right National Union of Ethical Citizens, and the centre-left party for a country of solidarity. Despite the internal power struggles, the fledgling democracy did rather well for itself, as it managed to overturn some of Stronato's legislation and resist a military coup in 1996. The leader of that military coup was convicted and not allowed to run for political office, therefore. Wasmosi was followed by the Colorado candidate Raul Cubas in 1998, who repealed the coup leader's sentence and was subsequently impeached in 1999. He was followed by yet another Colorado candidate, Luis Gonzalez Maki, who was an opponent to Cubas, and in 2003, Nicanor Duarte Frutos was elected. It is rather strange to see a country in which the post-authoritarian regime bears the same political affiliation as the regime itself. As in most post-authoritarian states, the resistance party takes over. This is what makes the post-Troesno Paraguay so interesting, as the opposition parties were never able to overthrow 
a Colorado government, despite a high degree of infighting within factions of the party. This though changed with the 2008 election. 2008 ended over 60 years of Colorado rule, with the election of Fernando Lugo of the authentic radical liberal party. The former priest adhered to a liberation theology, which is the synthesis of Christian theology and socialism. Its policies are centered on the upliftment of the oppressed and the poor. Consequently, its two main aims were reducing corruption and economic inequality. The election was also noteworthy as the Colorado Party fielded the first ever female presidential candidate in Paraguay. Lugo's presidency was historical in more ways than one. He faced several political difficulties and began losing power once he had assumed seat in office. This allowed the defeated Colorado Party to reclaim the popular sentiment and support. In 2012, a year before the next general elections, a move to impeach Lugo was initiated in the legislature, resulting in a trial that lasted only 24 hours. Lugo lost his presidential seat overwhelmingly, with 76 of the 80 members of the chamber voting for impeachment. The Colorado party defended the constitutionality of the move, claiming a fair removal on grounds of presidential incompetence. That said, regional trade blocs, including the Union of South American Nations, or UNASUR, have called it a parliamentary coup. They claim that the right to defence was denied for Lugo and Argentina, Venezuela, Bolivia and Ecuador did not acknowledge the legitimacy of the interim precedent before the 2013 elections. The Argentinian Mercosur trade bloc suspended Paraguayan membership but did not impose economic sanctions. In both 2013 and 2018, Colorado candidates have been elected to office and the current president of Paraguay is Mario Abdo Benitez. Over these two presidencies, the Colorado party seems to have recognised the need to reform and has seen the conviction of their former party members on charges of corruption. As a right-wing politician, Benitez opposes both abortion and same-sex marriage but is more open to liberal argumentation than most staunch right-wing candidates. His economic policies and lack of management led to a recession in Paraguay in 2019 and a drop in his approval ratings. Despite this, the government has been relatively successful in controlling the coronavirus outbreak, which has quelled any opposition attempts to seize power. They've instated the formation of isolation camps for anyone entering the country, and despite incredibly poor conditions of the camps themselves, the camps have succeeded in containing the disease. As a result, the country has under 1,500 cases and under 20 reported deaths from the disease, which is pretty incredible considering it shares a large border with Brazil. The United States' support for the Paraguayan government has only increased over time, and they have shared an air force base in the country since 2005. They've also been helping train and arm the Paraguayan military. We'll examine the trade bloc involvement in bilateral trade ties of Paraguay in the next episode, but there are a few foreign policy positions that are worth elaborating on. Paraguay currently has an embassy dispute with Israel, and tensions with some countries in the region, including Bolivia and Venezuela, have increased since the impeachment of Lugo. They also have incredibly favourable ties with Bolsonaro's Brazil. And then there is the insurgency.
The Paraguayan People's Army Insurgency, or the EPP Rebellion, began in its current organized form in 2005. The formation of this civil unrest begins with the fall of Stroessner in 1989, following which left-wing political groups were unbanned from the political sphere. The EPP was formed in 1990 by Oviedo Brites, who believed in political change through revolutionary armed struggle. The group thus formed was a radical left-wing organization espousing a variant of Marxist-Leninism. The group kidnapped a few high-profile personalities, including the daughter of President Cubas, and demanded high sums of ransom. They've also engaged in cattle raiding, extortion, robberies, and drug trade. A splinter group called the ACA has formed from the parent EPP once in 2014 and then again in 2017. Insurgent activity is localized in northeastern Paraguay along the Brazilian border, and the EPP is believed to have ties with the Colombian Revolutionary Armed Forces, or the FARC. In 2018, the EPP began staging attacks in Mennonite communities that were strategic to marijuana trade, causing nearly 130 families to flee their homes. The use of violence, theft, and extortion has likened the EPP to other guerrilla groups and the current death toll from the ongoing insurgency rests at just below 100. The Colorado government has not had much success in containing the EPP, but Brazil has recently invested in a deepened intelligence cooperation with the Paraguayan government to tackle drug trafficking. With that, we come to the end of a second episode on the country of Paraguay. It is evident that the political climate in the country is far from stable, there is still immense wealth inequality with land ownership concentrated among a few elites, and fighting and discontentment within various factions even within the ruling Colorado party. The opposition has been weak since the impeachment of Lugo, but they've begun garnering support once again, and it remains to be seen how much longer the Colorado government can retain power. I'd once again like to thank you for joining us here on Matterfile for this episode on the contemporary history and governance of Paraguay.